You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Sometimes things don't go as planned. Someone right now is thinking, this whole year has not gone according to plan. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's a family gathering, maybe it's a trip, maybe it's a relationship. All of us have had experiences where things did not go according to plan. You have a plan, you have expectations, you have goals, things happen, and those expectations or plans are not realized. Didn't see that coming, didn't work out the way I wanted it to work out. If you've had that experience, and we've all had that experience, it means that we have a sense of what it felt like to be Peter, James, John, and the other disciples in Mark chapter 6, after they had gotten back from doing exhausting ministry and just needed some time to decompress and process with Jesus, they just needed some time for that, and they didn't get it. They planned on it, but plans did not come. Their plans did not materialize. Things did not go according to their expectations. This shows up in Mark chapter 6, verses 31 and following. The disciples have been commissioned earlier in the chapter. Jesus sends them out to every town. Maybe you remember back in verse 7, uh, he calls the twelve, he sends them out in pairs. He gives them authority over unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money. They were completely dependent on Jesus and His commission to go in ministry. They're supposed to, if they're received, they teach the Word. If they're not received, they shake the dust off their feet and head off to the next place. And now they've come back and they are with Jesus. And it's time for like Mission Report Sunday. You've been to Mission Report Sunday where all the mission people wear their t-shirts and there's a screen and the video's there and there's pictures and they tell you what their experience was, those kinds of things. They're ready to report to Jesus. And he says, come on, you're, you're tired. You need to rest. Let's go to a deserted place in verse 31. That's what he says to them. It's his plan <laughs> that doesn't materialize in the next few verses. Jesus has this plan. Come away with me to a deserted place by yourselves and rest for a while. And the reason he said it is because many were coming and going. And the disciples couldn't take a break to eat. They had no leisure. They were working so hard. So they get in a boat. They ride off to a deserted place. And apparently, people saw them head off, figured out where they must be going, and trucked it around the edge of the shore and beat them to the deserted place so that when they got to the deserted place, it ended up not being a deserted place. The crowds were there ahead of them. That's what we get in verse 33. Now, many saw them going, recognized them, and hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived there ahead of them. Maybe you've had this experience where it's been a long day and you're just worn out and you think, I'm going to go home, I'm going to eat a little something, I'm going to rest. And then you get home, you eat a little something, and something else comes up. And somebody needs something. And maybe you get called back to work. Or maybe someone's had a crisis in your family. Or whatever it is, and you need to rest, but there's a, there's a thing and your plans don't materialize and you don't get what you wanted. Or 
needed. Jesus sees the crowds and is willing to let the plans shift based on the need that is before them. Now, I want us to settle in here for a moment before we get to the main point, the bottom line, the thesis of our reflections today. Because we tend in the miracle stories to go straight for the miracle. And it's very easy to assume we know what's happening with the miracles and pull them out of context and not pay attention to what the biblical authors are telling us the significance of the miracle is. So before we get to the, if we just rush to the miracle, we will miss the motivations that Mark wants us to understand about Jesus. He wants us to see the power. He wants us to see the signs and wonders, Mark does, but that's not the only thing he wants us to see. He wants us to discover something about Jesus' character. Mark wants us not only to see his power, he wants us to see something about Jesus' heart. Because he wants us to experience Jesus and, having experienced him, to begin to embody the character that we experience in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that Mark wants us to discover about Jesus? He wants us to discover Jesus' compassion. Before Jesus does the miracles, before he teaches, he experiences compassion for the many, the people, the crowds who were gathered around him. Take a look. hope you have your Bible open in front of you. Verse 34, the many beaten them to the deserted place. Now there's a crowd in the place of retreat. And as Jesus goes ashore, Mark tells us in verse 34, he saw the great crowd, and then Mark says, Jesus had compassion for them. We're going to talk about that more in just a minute, this expression of Jesus' compassion. For now, I want you to just hear what Mark says. Before the ministry happens, before he teaches, before he feeds the hungry, Jesus has compassion for the people in front of him. He sees the masses. He sees the congregation. He sees the crowd. And he experiences compassion. That comes before the ministry. And it comes before the ministry for a reason. And this is the main thing Mark wants us to pick up. Here's the bottom line. The compassion of Jesus fuels the ministry of his church. In Mark's gospel, when the church is at her best throughout history, that is true. The compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ drives fuels, energizes, moves, shapes, defines, empowers the ministry of His church. So what does that compassion look like? Well, one of the ways we learn about the Bible is when we see two things side by side and they're different. It's called contrast. You know, 
the authors will give us you know, one character here and one character here, and there are two things that are very different about them. In this instance, we get Jesus and the disciples. And there's some contrast between Jesus and the disciples because Jesus gets off the boat and he has compassion for the crowd and he begins to teach them many things. And then it grows late and the disciples come and go, hey, Jesus, it's late. Can you send them home already? And so we've got two very different responses to the crowd, right? Some contrast happening here. Jesus sees the crowd and has compassion The disciples see the crowd and say, why can't they go home? This is our time. Jesus sees the crowd and gives Himself to them to instruct them and care for them and teach them. The disciples see the crowd and say, why are they infringing on our time with Jesus? Jesus sees the crowd and His heart is filled with this self-giving, other-oriented love. The disciples see the crowd and they think only of themselves. That's the way Mark sets this up. So that's, you know, how, what does compassion look like? Jesus had a plan. He's the one that made the plan. And He allows His plan to be adjusted in this instance so that He can offer compassion to people who need it. Now, how do we know they need it? Mark tells us that they need it in verse 34. Jesus has compassion for the crowd because, anytime you get that word, because, it means stop for a minute. He's explaining some reasons. Let's hear what he has to say. Jesus had compassion. Why did he have compassion? Great, Mark says, I'm glad you asked. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, in the Old Testament, in the Israelite history, the Jewish world, There was a close association between kings and shepherds. That may be surprising because kings have a lot of status and shepherds didn't have a lot of status. But there was this one really, really famous king way back in Israel's history, king number two, named David, started out as a shepherd. God called him and made him one of the greatest kings in the, the greatest king in the history of Israel. Even though he had massive deficiencies, he was a man after God's own heart, a king after God's own heart. And so over time... In the Old Testament, when the people were leaderless, or when there were bad kings, or when things were not going well, you might hear this, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And so when Jesus sees the people, and He sees that they are like sheep without a shepherd, Mark is dropping us a really big clue that, hey, don't forget, this is about the kingdom of God. They don't have a good king, they don't have a godly king, they don't have a righteous king, they don't have a just king king, right? Herod, the puppet king from Rome, is, we've just heard about him. He's, if, you, if you haven't just heard about him, go read the previous passage in John chapter 6, and you'll discover that Herod is throwing parties and giving away things to dancing girls and chopping off the heads of prophets. That's what that king is doing. So Jesus sees the crowds. He knows that Herod is doing unholy things, And he has compassion on the crowd because they don't have a king to shepherd them and care for them and build a society, a culture, a civilization marked by who embodies the character of God. They don't have a king after God's heart. That's what they need. Mark wants us to know Jesus is that king. Jesus is the king. And so when he sees the people who are without a king, he has compassion for them. 
offers to them the thing they need. So the disciples put up with it for a little while. They, and then when it starts to get dark, they want to send everybody home. It's late. We're tired. This was not the plan. We didn't bring any extra money. And Jesus never loses a teaching moment, does he? He never loses a moment to expose the selfishness of the disciples' hearts. And it, let me, friends, it just gets worse for these guys. You think that Jesus is giving them a hard time now? Just wait till chapter 8 and 9 and 10. Like, things get crazy. They, they are not on the same page with Jesus, and Mark amplifies how messed up these guys are later on. So this is just kind of a preview of coming attractions. You think Jesus is hard on them now, just wait a few more chapters. It gets crazy later on. So the disciples come, and they have all of these excuses for why they shouldn't offer more compassion. Like, Jesus, enough compassion already. We got stuff to do. We haven't told you about the demons we cast out yet, and we haven't told you about how we showed up in this one town, and there were some people, and we started teaching, and, and they really responded, and they wanted to hear about the kingdom, and maybe you need to go visit them next week, because after all, it, they were very receptive, and don't you know we've been doing great stuff for you, Jesus, and we know we need you to pay attention to us, not all those needy people. <laughs> like we have so many, and, and that sound, doesn't that sound so righteous? Like we don't have time to have com show compassion to the crowds because we have ministry reports. We need to have staff meetings. Jesus, come on. So they come up with all these excuses and for, for not offering compassion to people. Right? And I wonder sometimes when we do that. <laughs> you knew it was coming, didn't you? In fact, you're probably already thinking. He's probably about to try to like point out to when we do these sorts of things. Like, how often, how easily, how easily we come up with good reasons or excuses not to offer compassion like Jesus does to the people we see, especially people we don't like. <laughs> right? I mean, the disciples don't like the crowds right now. They, don't know, they may love them in Christ, but they do not like those people because they are transgressing on their time with Jesus. They don't like them. They don't want to offer anything to them. They don't, want to do, they don't want to serve. They don't want to go out of their way. And they come up with excuses. And I wonder how often we see something we don't like. Somebody says something we don't like. Somebody posts something on Facebook we don't like. And our first response is the little angry face. Right? I don't like that. Ugh. Or maybe we don't. Maybe we're a little. Uh, <laughs> we won't descend to criticizing people on social media, so we just go to our spouse or somebody at home and say, can you believe I said that? Note, friends, that that, all of those things that we feel and that sort of self-indulgent, I don't like that, I'm no fan of that, I'm going to criticize that, that's the opposite of compassion. And Jesus wants the disciples and us to understand that if the church is going to be engaged in faithful ministry, it is driven by, it is fueled by, it is energized by His compassion. The compassion of Jesus fuels the ministry of His church. So what does Jesus do? Well, they need to learn some compassion. So He says, I tell you what, instead of sending them all home, why don't you feed them? And you can see their faces probably just hey, we've been out here for a couple of hours and he's done his teaching thing. Maybe he's satisfied. We can just send him on home and get on with the plan. And Jesus instead says, no, no, no. 
you give them something to eat. And what do the disciples do? More excuses. We didn't bring 200 denarii out here. And now if you don't know, you might have a footnote in your Bible, a denarius is about a day's wage. So 200 days pay, you know, a little over half a year. I take, we need more than half a year's salary to feed all these people, Jesus. You got that? I don't have that. Excuses. We don't have the money. We don't have the time. We don't have the resources. We've got other things to do. We had a schedule. All of, and this is what we do. We do it too. This is the universal human thing. The disciples are just like the rest of all of us. We have lots of really good reasons of why we don't need or should not have to embody the compassion of Jesus to other people. Mark is inviting us to just kind of step into the sandals of the disciples. Just live in their, like walk in their footsteps for a minute and realize that we do the exact same sort of things. And we need to repent for that, don't we? We need to repent for it. So Jesus gives them a ministry. He's going to make it effective because they don't have anything. Like they don't have what it takes. It's a, another good reminder. <laughs> We don't have what it takes. We are disasters. Human beings are messed up. We're all broken. We are sinners. We are rebels. We are selfish. We are self-focused. We lack compassion, and we need Jesus to take our broken, dirty, dark, sinful, black, non-compassionate hearts, whatever the word is, you know what I'm trying to say, and turn them away from us to himself and to the many. Love God and love your neighbor, Jesus says. That's what matters. So, we need, so they need some practice learning how to love God and neighbor. So he says, you give them something to eat. You don't have what it takes, but you go find what you've got, bring it to me, and I'll make it fruitful. So go find it. So he goes out. They come back with five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus says, okay, get everybody to sit down. Notice how kingly he is. He orders them. Jesus is the authority here. He is in charge. Herod's throwing drunken parties in his castle, filled with vice. Jesus is the virtuous, wise, holy, just, magnificent king who brings order and prosperity and abundance to people, to the mass, to the many. The disciples are more like Herod than they are Jesus, aren't they? Hearts turned in on themselves. Jesus is giving them a ministry so that their hearts can be transformed and so that they can... He wants them to embody His compassion. It won't work. Jesus' purposes won't be fulfilled if He just does the miracle and the disciples are spectators. That's a good reminder, friends, that ministry, the ministry of the kingdom of God is not a spectator sport. It's not kind of, hey, let's just sit back and watch Jesus change the world. Let's just sit back and watch the pastor change the world. Jesus calls everyone who is a follower of Him, who is His follower, to be engaged in ministries of compassion that transform the world. That is, and if we don't, we are not His followers. And that is, there, there is no in-between. So these guys have to decide on this day, are we going to keep following Jesus or are we doing something else? Jesus says, you, you give them something to eat. And his compassion puts them in a place to engage in ministry so that they can take his heart and become conduits, like irrigations, like hook the hose up to the sprinkler. Jesus puts all of his compassion into the lives of these 
selfish men, and then just they bust out with a wellspring of water all over the place, and people get cared for. That's what Jesus wants. Jesus gives them a ministry. His compassion is the basis for their ministry. And by doing it, by obeying Him, by engaging in the practice, they begin to learn what it feels like to embody His compassion. And they begin to learn what it feels like to be the church. They begin to feel like what it... They begin to understand what it feels like to be a part of the kingdom of God. Where He takes selfish people and turns them into compassionate people where he takes little and forgives abundance. They don't bring much to him, do they? A few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. But his compassion and his power and his energy fuels the ministry that they engage in. If we are not dialed in to Jesus' compassion we will not be driven to fulfill his ministry. Compassion of Jesus fuels the ministry of the church. Now, Mark also wants us to understand that this miracle thing that Jesus does with the loaves and the fish and the crowds, Mark wants us to draw a line from the compassion that Jesus expresses in this setting to the compassion that he expresses on the cross. Mark wants us to see a connection between the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus' sacrifice of himself on the cross. And he makes that connection with four verbs. I hope you like literature, English, and syntax because... The verbs are where the sermon is today. If you're paying attention, you may have noticed this when I read. Jesus takes the loaves of bread. He looks up to heaven. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples to set before the people. Those four verbs. He took it, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it. Now you may think, what's the big deal there, preacher? Okay, that's what you do if you're going to feed people. You take it, say your little prayer. Somebody say grace, and then pass the food around, right? Except that in Mark chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, flip over to Mark 14, 22, in the institution of the Lord's Supper. This is the night of Jesus' betrayal, the day before he's going to be crucified as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. He brings the disciples together and Mark, and Mark does not waste words. This is the shortest gospel and he cuts stuff and slices and edits and he does not put in extra material. So if it's there, it's there for a reason. Mark 14, 22, Jesus, while they were eating, took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it. Four verbs in order, feeding of the 5,000, Last Supper, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it. And Mark wants his readers, whether it's first century readers, 21st century readers, he wants all of his readers to see the connection. Jesus engaged in ministry with the crowds because his heart was filled with compassion because they didn't have a king, they didn't have a shepherd 
Jesus offered Himself on the cross. He engaged in this ministry of atonement, of self-sacrifice, of the forgiveness of sins, of the salvation of humanity because He was filled with compassion because we don't have a King because the kingdom of God must come. And this is the only way it would happen. The compassion for those who didn't have a king in chapter 6 is fully realized when the man on the cross who has king of the Jews written above his head offers his arms wide to embrace the world that has scorned him and run from him and spat upon him and insulted him and pierced his hands and pierced his face and will pierce his side, he offers compassion. The gospel fuels the ministry of the church, Jesus' church, because the gospel is about the compassion of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, friends, our greatest need, your greatest need, my greatest need, above all things, is to experience the compassion of God in Christ. I want to say that again. Your greatest need, my greatest need, no matter who we are, no matter where we live, no matter what color our skin is, no matter how much money we make, no matter where we went to school, no matter who our family is, our greatest need is to experience the compassion of God in Jesus Christ. And the gospel is the story that brings that experience to us each. The gospel, friends, is a story about the compassion of God in Christ. Because it's a story about a God who goes to people who treat him poorly. Not who don't just treat him poorly, who oppose him vehemently. Who reject his kingship. Who reject his lordship who don't want him to call the shots in their life. It's about us. It's about him coming to us when we had said, no, thank you, we're not interested in what you have to say about our lives and how we live. I'll be God of my life, not you. While we were still sinners, Paul said, Christ died for us. And nobody dies for a wicked person except Jesus. Jesus sees our distance. He sees our rebellion. He sees our transgression. He sees our disgust and our hatred and our lack of compassion. And he responds to all of that with compassion because, and he, he could get angry, could say, you don't deserve what I have to offer. After all, you're wrong about almost everything. And I don't agree with you. And I'm not interested in your input. I don't like your politics. I don't like your religion. But instead, 
of highlighting the many ways that he is different from us and digging in with fury, he gives himself in compassion. Mark doesn't want us to miss that about Jesus. I want you to take a minute wherever you are and try to remember the last time you felt the compassion of God in Christ. Maybe it was the moment of your conversion when you met Jesus for the first time or you for the first time realized I don't deserve what he offers me. My heart is dark and I, I don't deserve his grace and yet he comes to me with compassion. Maybe you can remember that for just a moment. Maybe you had sinned grievously and you thought, I can't, he won't have me back after what I've done and no, the church won't have me and he won't have me, my family won't have me, but you experienced to your surprise, despite your sin, he offers compassion after all. Just take a moment and remember what it feels like. Remember how good it feels to experience in your heart of hearts the compassion of Jesus. And if you can't remember a time, let me say to you, he wants to do it today. Jesus desires to offer his compassion to you right now. And the question is whether we will receive it, whether you will receive it. And friends, to become fully human, to be all that Jesus wants us to be, to experience his best, to experience ministry as he intended it, to be able to, like before the disciples could experience, feeding 5,000 people is amazing! But they couldn't be a part of the glory until they came to embody Jesus' character of compassion. And it, we will not be able to embody His character of compassion until we experience it. And when we experience it, we can extend it. And when we extend it, then and only then will we come to the place where we experience joy and glory in all of the exciting, world-changing ministry that Jesus wants to do through us. But He cannot work through us if we are focused on ourselves and our agenda and our positions and our views and how wrong they are and how right we are and all of that it's very hard to engage in ministry with people on jesus behalf when that's the kind of stuff swirling in our head jesus desires to reproduce his compassion in his people he does it with the disciples in mark chapter 6 you give them something to eat you go out there and show them compassion and he wants to do it with us the need for compassion permeates the fullness of the life of the church. And it could be applied in almost infinite ways and possibilities. Consider the ministry of evangelism. Evangelical Christians 
We believe the Bible. We believe in heaven. We believe in hell. We believe that if people don't know Jesus, the consequence of that is eternal separation from Him. And yet, the stats say that only a few percentage of evangelical Christians ever tell people about how to come to know Jesus and experience the fullness of His love and His joy and His glory and His salvation. Evangelism is an expression of compassion. Because we don't want people to go to hell. We want people to experience Jesus' life-giving love. So one of the ways that we express compassion is by telling people the good news about Jesus. And we come up with excuses, just like the disciples did. We don't have the time. It's getting late. Jesus, the sun's going down. Send them home before it gets completely dark and so we can get on with our lives. And I can't tell people about Jesus. i got to get home. I, my coworker may want to know some things about Jesus, but i got to go get my kids to baseball practice because look at the time. Oh, I don't know what to say. Oh, I'm not. What will they think? We come up with so many. I'm afraid. I've experienced fear. When people ask questions about Jesus, what will they? If I really tell them what I think, will they think I'm crazy or a Jesus freak or a bigot or something? You know, we experience and we make excuses, and those excuses are a refusal to embody the compassion of Jesus. That's what it is. At bottom, I care more about me than their eternal destination. I care more about what they think about me. I care more about my schedule. I care more about all of these other excuses than I do that person's destiny and salvation and danger. We, gotta, we, ha we have got to see the church's decla declaring of the gospel an as an act of compassion. The gospel is the compassion of God in Jesus. When I look at North American society this year, 2020, I mean, we've got 2020 threw us a hard, a fastball, a curveball, whatever metaphor you want. It's been rough. We didn't see it coming. And when things happen that are unexpected, it tends to bring out like our really deep true selves, doesn't it? Like nobody's sitting around on New Year's Eve going, well, I expect a pandemic and, you know, riots all over the country. Huh, how about that? Plan on that for the spring and the summer. Like, nobody thought that. I don't think. <laughs> if you did, well, there's that. And it has, like, the, the year has not gone according to plan. And the thing that really saddens me, the thing that really breaks my heart, is that when the crises have come, instead of becoming a society marked by compassion, we have retreated into our various deeply divided camps, dug in our heels, and lobbed grenades at everyone on the other side. Not everyone, but a lot of, like, just Facebook has been nuts. They're crazy. They're wrong. I don't believe that. You're 
you know, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me who to... What? All of the things, friends. How deeply the United States of America needs the church of Jesus Christ to embody His compassion because, friends, they are like sheep without a shepherd. Okay? So what does it look like? And let me, let me just say this. Like, there are sides and there are disagreements, and I'm not going to tell you who I agree with and who I disagree with in the next three minutes. If you want to know that, call me tomorrow morning and come by and we'll sit down and talk. I don't care who we agree with or who we don't agree with. Because you do not have to agree with someone to embody the compassion of Jesus. Okay? Let's all say that to the people in the living room with us in the internet world. I do not have to agree with the pe- I do not have to agree with people in order to show them compassion. Right? I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't agree with every one of those last 5,000 folks he fed that day. Because after all, he's right about everything and none of us are right about everything. So obviously he disagreed with them on some things. I'm pretty sure the Lord Jesus Christ didn't agree with Pilate when he sentenced him to death. He didn't agree or take the same political views as the soldiers who stabbed nails in his hands, but he prayed for them. He prayed for them. And he died for them. He didn't agree with the people who were spitting on him. He didn't agree with the people who were mocking him. He thought they were wrong. But he didn't say, it's my right not to die on this cross. This court is wrong. The king is wrong. The authorities are wrong. I deserve better than this. He didn't say any of it. He has all power. 10,000 angels the Son of God could have called in that moment to take him down and slay his enemies. And instead, he prayed For them. The compassion of Jesus fuels the ministry of His church. And we only have participation in His kingdom because He loves people He doesn't agree with. We only have a place in His heaven, in His new creation, because He has compassion on people who despise him. Brothers and sisters, hear my heart. We, the people of God, must experience Jesus' compassion so that we can embody His compassion in a society that is ripping itself apart and disintegrating in front of our very eyes. Jesus does not call his people to contribute to the disintegration of the city, the 
culture. He calls his people to rebuild the ruins, to work for the good of the city in which they dwell. And Jesus does that by embodying compassion and calling his followers to embody compassion. Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that it is the kindness of God that draws people to repentance. It is the kindness of God that draws people to repentance. Not the snarkiness of God, not the mockery that God might offer, not the snide jokes or the cruel puns, the kindness of God that draws people to repentance. Mark would say it's the compassion of Jesus that draws people to repentance. If you want to change the world, don't be a jerk. Offer compassion. Here's the challenge. This is the end. I don't usually end sermons like this, but here's what you get today. As soon as this sermon is over, before you eat lunch, I want you to pick up your cell phone and open up social media. And I want you to scroll until you see something you don't like. Something that makes you mad. Something one of they, them posted. And when you see it, and it probably won't take long, unless the only people you see on Facebook are people who agree with you about everything, then you might have to look a little harder. But judging from my feed, people see things they don't like all the time. Okay? Find the first thing that makes your blood kind of start to boil, and you feel that kind of feeling a little frustrated here. I don't agree with that person. I'm pretty sure they're wrong about it, and I need to correct. You'll feel that impulse. I need to correct them. And you'll want to click comment or the angry face. Something. Here's what I want you to do. You ready? I want you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. And the way that you will tangibly express that is by vocally praying for whoever it is that made you uncomfortable, angry, or frustrated on social media. That's your assignment. That's your sermon application. The challenge, the command of Jesus, the mandate of the church, brothers and sisters. Go find somebody you don't like. Go find somebody you disagree with. Go find somebody who makes your blood boil and ask Jesus to bring them into an experience of his best, his perfect love, his abundant grace, and his unfailing mercy. And if you can do that today, and maybe later today, maybe tomorrow, you will find that your life will begin to become conditioned to embodying the compassion of Jesus. That's how holiness works.
the first time will be the hardest. I can tell you, if you're up, if you, if you are, if you're up for actually following Jesus, the first time, the first time will be the hardest. But friends, we've got to change the tone. The compassion of Jesus fuels the ministry of his church. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.